was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. Today, I am so glad to be joined by my guest, Brenda Braxton, a Tony nominee for Smokey Joe's Cafe. She also originated roles in such shows as Jelly's Last Jam, Legs Diamond, Dream Girls, but never jammed today, and reggae. She is also a longtime Velma Kelly in Chicago and has replaced in Cats, Guys and Dolls, and more. She served as production assistant on Lena Horne, The Lady and Her Music, and worked on Alice Out of Town as part of Vinette Carroll's Urban Arts Corps, which also led to her appearance on screen and on stage in When Hell Freezes Over, I'll Skate. Her other on-screen work includes the movie of The Wiz and a recurring role on The Good Fight. She is also an entrepreneur, having launched B. Braxton, Exceptional Grooming for Men, and Act 2, Now What?, a series of seminars for women over 50. She is also the author of a book of advice for young actors, The Little Black Book of Backstage Etiquette. So without further ado, here she is, Brenda Braxton. So I want to start by asking you how you got interested in theater. Oh my goodness. Well, I started dancing when I was about four years old. I'm from New York, so been in New York all my life. Um, started dancing when I was four years old and uh, was going to Catholic school and eighth grade, it was time to go to high school. And one of my teachers told me about performing arts right down on 46th street. So I auditioned, got in, went there for four years. And then about a year out of high school, I went to city college for, for about a year. And then the following year, I got my first Broadway show, which was Guys and Dolls, the all black version of Guys and Dolls. And the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so living in New York, were you seeing any Broadway shows when you were growing up or? You know what? No, I, I think I went to one Broadway show when, when I was in high school, which was Raisin. And Debbie Allen was in it and a couple of other people that I, I've since got to know. Um, but I hadn't really gone to Broadway. Uh, I didn't really go to Broadway until after I got my first Broadway show. And then I started seeing other shows, you know. So were there any other performers that you sort of looked up to or wanted to be like? Uh, let me see. Um, not in the beginning, because like I said, I hadn't really gone to a lot of Broadway shows. But then once I started really kind of seeing who was out there, like Ben Vereen and Pippin and um, who else was there? Uh, buh, 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 buh. Uh, well, in my own show too, Ken Page and Ernestine Jackson and Robert Guillaume, God bless him. So I started looking up to them. And then, you know, as my career went further, then of course I met B.B. Newworth and all those folks and, and we've become really good friends. Um, so yeah, just kind of, kind of developed. Yeah. 
So did your family support you becoming an actress? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. My mother supported me from day one. She did say if, if I could not keep my grades up while I was in performing arts, then she would take me out of that performing arts high school. But I kept my grades up. One year I even had to go to summer school, but I kept my grades up and um, she said, okay. She, and she is my biggest fan in my family, my biggest fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So did you feel that the education that you got at the performing arts school would help you later? Or oh, absolutely. But you know what's interesting? The, the teacher I had when I first started dancing school, Ruth Williams, she taught me a lot of discipline as well, the discipline of dance. So by the time I got to performing arts high school, I already had a good base. I had a, a good beginning you know, um, but performing arts did give me the discipline, uh, knowing what to do, what not to do, what was, you know, the, the technique I was, I loved Graham technique and I thought I was gonna be a Graham dancer in the Graham company, but then I um, fell in love with musical theater. And uh, once I got into Guys and Dolls, I realized, oh yeah, this is what I wanna do. Oh. <laughs> So what was your audition like for Guys and Dolls? And was it the first thing you auditioned for? Or? Oh my God, yes. So I often, you know, I have a cabaret called Act Two, Now What? And I talk about, uh, you know, how I got into the business. I literally auditioned for Guys and Dolls. They were looking for a swing and I had no idea what a swing was, a, you know, a swing dancer. So I auditioned and it was an open call and it was about 200 people at that time. And it was back in 1976. And um, they were only looking for one male and one female. And I remember in high school, we had a class, a musical theater class, and we had to, to um, bring in one song that we would do. And, um, and it was kind of like an audition-ish kind of class. And I remember I sang, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. So I sang that. <laughs> and it was back when you also, everybody was on stage to audition. So everyone was just sitting around on stage, you know, and the director and choreographer were out in the house. And one at a time you had to come up and sing your song, you know, say your name and sing your song. And I just remember I was so nervous, but out of all those people, they picked one male and one female and I was the female that they picked. So that was my first professional audition. <laughs> so what was the experience like of being a swing once you started doing it? Oh my goodness, once I realized, oh my God, I've got to learn all the women's parts. <laughs> because of course the swing understudies the ensemble. But for some reason, I was really good at it. I was good at picking up. And this was back when you couldn't video the show or you couldn't video rehearsals. You couldn't do any of that. So you literally had to watch each person and learn their blocking, learn their choreography, learn their staging, you know, everything. But for some reason, I was really, really good at it and I enjoyed it. And I ended up being swing for uh, uh, Dream Girls as well, which was another, uh, another great experience. Yeah. 
so was the cast all sort of supportive of you in your first job? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone, everyone knows that the swings job is really, really difficult. So they were very, very supportive. And the fact that it was my first swing job, the person who taught me the show, Julia Lima, she was so sweet and so patient and um, just took her time and taught it to me and taught, taught me the ins and outs of what my job as a swing was. So I, I appreciated her immensely. And we're still good friends till today. Oh. Yeah. So what do you think that it was about that production of Guys and Dolls that made it such a hit? Well, it was different for one thing, and but everyone knew, knew the story. Everyone knows what Guys and Dolls is, but it was nice to see what it was from a different point of view, from the African-American or Caribbean point of view. The music was different, which was amazing. And every single night watching Ken Page sing Sit Down, You Rock in the Boat was just awesome. I had never, never experienced anything like that where the audience every single night gave him a standing ovation. So um, it, it, everyone knew the, the show, they knew what it was about, but to see it from a different point of view was exciting for a lot of people and, and the audience. Yeah. So did working with the all black cast sort of change your experience at all or? Um, no, it's interesting with everything that's going on right now with, with Black Lives Matter and, and trying to you know get equality and diversity and all of that. People often ask me about that uh, coming up for me. And I often say, I never really, really focused on that. I always focused on doing the work so a lot of that other stuff that was going on, I, I wasn't really aware of it. I'm more aware of it now um, within the last 15 years, you know, 10 to 15 years. But back then, it was just about me doing the work, getting the work done. And yes, they, they, there were challenges, um, little things like um, not having the, the proper costume colors for me and hair products and makeup and all of that. But I felt like I just rolled with the punches at that time because I wanted to get the work done more than anything else. Yeah. So I want to ask you if you're interested in sort of doing all the different kinds of jobs you can do on Broadway started as early as Guys and Dolls? Oh my God, it started earlier than that. I was working with a woman by the name of Vinette Carroll at the Urban Arts Corps. And it was uh, it was a kind of all hands on deck situation. We did lighting, we did our own costumes, we did, you know? So by the time I got my first Broadway show, I was ready to step into almost anything that, that was needed, you know, if, if props were needed, it, oh, okay, but then I had to learn, no, there are people who do that for you, <laughs> you know, but it's good to see the business from different uh, aspects and different people's um, perspective. Uh, when I was doing uh, Smokey Joe's Cafe, I had an organization called Leading Ladies Just for Teens. And I would do seminars before our, uh, Sunday matinees. And a lot of the, it was for teenage girls. We ended up doing for for young boys as well. But a lot of the times we would take them backstage so that they could even see that women were doing some of the non-traditional kinds of roles, like being an electrician or a prop person or something like that, which, um, which was amazing because as, as much as I was open to it and was like, oh yeah, that's our prop person, the woman. So many young people didn't even know that women were doing that, you know, were yeah. doing some of those, those jobs. So um, 
yeah, so so it was it was great being able to be a part of that and having worked with Vanette and knowing what it took to be a prop person and to be a lighting person or a wardrobe person. So yeah, I learned a lot about backstage. Yeah. So I do want to ask you um, what you learned about performing from your first Broadway experience. Uh, it's so funny, Vanette had, Vanette Carroll had a saying, do not be seduced or reduced by the audience. So it's just about doing your show and doing the best show you can. So if you get a lot of applause, that's nice. If you don't get any applause, that's, you know, it is what it is, but your performance should not change. You should not do more because the audience is applauding for you, you know, and, and I've come across a lot of co-workers, co-performers who, if they hear that applause, oh, they go even more <laughs> for that laugh or whatever. But that was one of the things I learned. And one of the other things I learned was you have to respect everyone. You have to respect everyone's position, not just the person who's on stage next to you, but you have to respect people who are backstage, your stage managers, your lighting people, your prop people, your, your uh, um, you know, e electricians, you have to respect everyone. And I don't know if you, you, you probably do know because you seem like you've done your, your homework, but I wrote a book on it too called The Little yeah. Black Book of Backstage Etiquette because there are just some simple things that are not taught in college or high school or whatever. Simple little things like tipping your dresser or not throwing your costume on the floor or not touching props if they're not your props. Um, so I, I learned a lot of that at an early age, which was really good. So by the time I got my first Broadway show and went on to do my other shows, I already knew you know, what the, the deal was as far as respecting people. Yeah. So did it become easier for you to find work on Broadway and off after Guys and Dolls? Or? Uh, no, because again, the diversity was not there. So uh, let me see. The uh, What I did after the Guys and Dolls, I did the Wiz movie, which was with 400 other dancers. <laughs> and then uh, I did little shows that didn't really, really make it to Broadway. I did a lot of workshops, things like that. But I don't think my big, big break came uh, for Broadway until Dreamgirls, which was in 1981. So from 76 to 81, I was just doing what I could, learning what I could. Um, but Dreamgirls was the next big thing that I did. So yeah, yeah. And so I'd love to talk next about Alice, which you did at the Forest oh, Theater. If I was oh my goodness! <laughs> so I was wondering if you could tell any listeners who don't know what it is a little bit about what it is. Alice, oh gosh. So Alice was a version of Alice in Wonderland, directed by uh, Vanette Carroll, uh, produced by Mike Nichols. Debbie Allen was Alice. Uh, Clinton Derricks Carroll and Cleavant Derricks were Tweedledum and Tweedledee, they're, they're twins for those who don't, don't know. And that's where I met Cleavant, who uh, ended up being James Thunder Early, the original James Thunder Early in Dreamgirls, and he won a Tony Award for that. Um, Alice, Alice Ghostly was in it, Alice White was in it, um, and it was just, a, oh, uh, choreographed by Tally Beatty some of the most amazing choreography that would have been seen on Broadway at that time. Uh, but unfortunately, our producer and our director did not see eye to eye and the producer just shut everything down. 
and we came home <laughs> with our tails between our legs. But it was an amazing experience. Debbie Allen was awesome in the show. She really was. And the music was beautiful too. Yeah. And I do want to ask you about working with Vinette Carroll and also Mickey Grant. Yes, yes, Mickey Grant did the music for that. Uh, Vinette Carroll, um, while she was, was very stern and hard in some instances, um, I am so happy to have experienced that because again, it gave me the kind of discipline that uh, allowed me to do other shows, other Broadway shows, and not, not be, again, reduced or seduced by the, the life that I was leading. So if my show closed, it was like, okay, what's next? Let's go on to the next show. What do I have to do? What do I have to learn? Um, we spent, we also did a show called When Hell Freezes Over, I'll Skate. And it was a lot of poetry, a lot of uh, African-American poetry. And we literally sat for hours combing through uh, Langston Hughes and, and all, all the Zora, Zora Neale Hurston and all the, the um, poets. And I, it gave me such a sensibility about where theater could, can go. And I felt like I had a hand in developing When Hell Freezes Over, I'll Skate. Um, and it gave me such pride working on something like that. So working with Vinette and being able to be a part of that gave me a kind of pride to have a certain kind of attitude when I went to audition for other things, whether it was an all African-American show or an interracial show or an all white show with me being the token African-American, um, I still had a, a, a sense of stability in who I was and what I brought to the table. And um, I think if you take advantage of that, when you do small workshops and, and hone your craft and, and, and don't worry about, oh, how, how much am I getting paid for this? But really, really hone your craft. Um, oops, sorry, hone your craft. Um, it, it really, really can lend to a fuller kind of uh, experience, theatrical experience as an actor, singer, dancer. You know, so um, working with Vinette and, and Mickey and listening to Mickey's, some of Mickey's amazing lyrics was just, it was just amazing and not getting paid. So you're more focused when you're there because you want to be there, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I do want to go back, I think for a second to ask you about the Wiz movie, which you were mentioning and, uh -huh. um, and how, uh -huh. that, how that happened and what it was like to. Oh my God. You know, I don't even remember auditioning for it. I just think that they were like all the dancers in New York, <laughs> all the African-American dancers in New York, come on and do the Wiz movie. But I can tell you one thing, we were in rehearsals with about 400 dancers in this warehouse and they sat us all down. We didn't know what was getting ready to happen, but it was the first time that Michael Jackson uh, Diana Ross, Tim Ross. But it was the and, first uh, time that they performed Ease On Down the Road oh. in front of all of us. When I tell you that I almost cried to see Michael Jackson and Diana Ross performing like that, it was one of the most amazing experiences that I have, have had to date, you know, just mm -hmm. watching those icons perform in a rehearsal situation. 
that that was one of the, the happiest moments in the movie. But then we also had a, a, a time when we were doing a Brand New Day. And I often tell this, uh, this story, the visual is better when I tell the story, but <laughs> so we were performing Brand New Day and that is the scene where uh, all of the ugly people, you know, come out of there, but our costumes were rubber. And so every time we did a take, the headpieces would rip. And so they would do cut and they would glue it up and cut and they would glue it up again. But what they didn't know, the glue was toxic. So after a while of people sweating in it and dancing and all of that, people were starting to fall out from the fumes. And so <laughs> it was funny. I mean, the visual is not funny. It wasn't funny when it happened, but the visual of people saying, can you feel that? And then just going, boom, just falling out. <laughs> it wasn't funny at the time, but when I look back at it, it was, it was quite hysterical. But that was my experience. And, and, oh, and down at the original World Trade Center, when you had 400 dancers, and then they added all of these models and, and, and other actors, that was amazing as well. So we had to literally do three different sets because it was uh, red, gold, and green. So we had the same costume in each color. And so we would do, we would run the whole thing. I want to be seen green. And then we would do that. And then it was, wouldn't be caught dead red. And we'd have to do the whole thing all over again. You know, so that was, that was hard, but it was, it turned out to be a lot of fun and visually stunning, really, really beautiful. So I want to ask you if you found that as a performer, you have a good instinct or not about whether a show will be a success. <laughs> Oh God, um, I don't know because the, the definition of success constantly changes. So, um, and then there are shows that I, that I did think, oh my God, this show is gonna go on forever. Like Smokey Joe's Cafe, it's gonna go on forever. And it didn't. And um, Dream Girls, oh my God, this show is gonna go on forever, but it didn't. So, and uh, Legs Diamond, we all kind of knew, ooh, we've got some problems here. <laughs> What's gonna happen? Save your money. Um, but I don't know if it's any particular insight that I have. It's just, you know, you, you do the best you can and hope that it's received well. <laughs> so I do want to ask you about um, Alice and also But Never Jam today. So mm -hmm. how much sort of changed between those two things since they were similar subject? Oh, complete change. And, and we also did down at the Urban Arts Club with Vinette before we did Alice, we did a version of Alice in Wonderland down it, just in a little black box theater, which for me personally was better than anything we, we did with all the costumes and the bells and the whistles because it was an intimate kind of situation. I mean, the, the, literally the audience was right in front of you on the same, you know, same level as you. And um, it, was, it was just precious. Uh, I, I wish we had gotten to do that version of it, even though the one with Debbie was, was again, all the bells and whistles and costumes and uh, uh, just just everything that you ever, ever wanted or needed for a production. But when we brought it, when we finally did bring it back as But Never Jam today, it just wasn't the same. I, the, the spirit was out of it and it was like beating a dead dog. 
you know, just let it be, just let it be. So. Yes. And um, how did, um, oh, I lost you again. Oh, there you are. Um, and how did Vanette Carroll sort of respond to these shows not doing as well? Yeah, yeah. And how did Vinette Carroll respond to these shows not doing as well? Uh, after a while, we didn't really have much uh, to do with Vinette. I think it, I think it kind of brought her down because it was something she really, really wanted to do. And as I said, the first one we did was just brilliant. And she was able to really have her hands in that one. Alice, um, because of the vision that Mike Nichols had and the vision she had, it often clashed. So she wasn't able to put the, the, the Alice that she had in her mind fully on stage because she had to, he was the producer. So he had, she had to do, you know, she had to cater to him in, in a certain way. And I think once we got to, but never jam today, it was like, uh, more like, I got to do this now. I've got to get this done. I, I'm going to change some things. That, you know, so it didn't have the heart and the soul of the first one, the first one down at the Urban Arts Corps. And I do want to ask you actually how you first got involved with the Urban Arts Corps. And the next you know, it's funny. I don't even remember. I, I know I was in a dance company. I was in the Fred Benjamin Dance Company, which was where I met Tally Beatty. And, um, you know, you go to back then, you just went to a whole bunch of auditions or you had a friend that said, oh, I'm doing this workshop. Come on and do it with me. And I think that's what the situation was. He was working with our company and he says, I'm working with this uh, Urban Arts Corps. Come on down. We're working on some new stuff. And I think that's how it happened. That, um, yeah, I, I, it, back then it was like you said yes to everything. You want to come here? Yep, I'll come. <laughs> you want to do this? Yep, I'll do it. <laughs> so I think that's how I got with the Urban Arts Corps. Yes. And do you remember sort of developing any friendships with other people who worked there? Oh, my God. Yes. And we're still friends. Uh, Reginald Vell Johnson, who did uh, Family Matters. We're still good friends. Uh, Kiki Shepard, who did the Apollo. She was the, the we call it the Vanna Black of the Apollo that was on television all the time. I'm still friends with Clinton and Cleavant Derricks. I don't get to see them as much. Um, Jeffrey Anderson Gunther, we, we still talk to each other. Of course, um, Vinette has passed away. Um, and Mickey, I still get to talk to Mickey Grant every now and then, and she's still sharp as a tack. Um, that's it, really, because it was a small group of us. Yeah. So, yeah. And I do want to ask you also about the um, slightly different cast that you worked with on But Never Jam today, which was? Um, most of the the original cast was there. They were just in different roles. Um, uh, Paula Kelly was in Alice with us, so she didn't do the Broadway version. And um, she has also passed. Uh, who else was there? Yeah, we, it was pretty much the same people, but just in different roles. Yeah. So uh, yeah. And that's what also changed the sensibility because so many of the original, original people that were down at the Urban Arts Corps didn't get to do what they did at the, in the Urban Arts Corps. You know, their characters were switched around, things like that. So it lost kind of the, the heart of it, the heart and soul of it. 
career, what is your opinion on critics? And do you think they matter too much? Or? Um, sometimes I do feel the critics matter too much. I, I read some of some of the um, reviews and it, it's sometimes it's just a word salad. And I go, I, what show are you talking about? What, you know, what did you see? It, it, and then there are times or there were times um, back when I was doing more Broadway shows that the reviews seem personal. You know, when you start talking about people's personal appearance and things like that, it just makes you go, well, what do you think? What did you think about the show? Not the person's big nose or the person's, you know. So I, I hope that when Broadway comes back, we, we all get to reset on so many different levels. You know, reviewers will, will not want to show how many big words they know. <laughs> um, they won't be as personal with, with people's appearance or, you know, political views and all of that. Um, so yeah, I just hope that, that we all get to reset and the uh, reviewers get to, to come back to what they used to be, reviewers. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to ask you next about a show you were mentioning earlier, which is When Hell Freezes Over, I'll Skate. Uh-huh. So what was it like to have this filmed for television? Because Oh, it was awesome because that was another show, as I said, that we just developed down at the Urban Arts Corps. But it caught on so well when Lincoln Center decided, you know, they, they wanted to shoot it. Um, we were so excited that we literally had a chance to perform a show that we had our hands in, you know, from the very, very beginning. It's very seldom that you get to do that, that you get to perform and record and, and uh, make history of a show that you had your hands in, that each character was um, specifically for you. You know what I mean? Uh, along with, and I, and another example is Smokey Joe's Cafe, where the characters are literally our names. The, you know, there's a Brenda, there's a Dali, there's a BJ. So being able to do that with When Hell Freezes Over Our Skate, too, even though the characters didn't have names, but the characters were specifically for us. Like I was the dancer. And my whole thing was, you know, I got to dance around and that was my specific my specific reason for being in When Hell Freezes Over, I'll Skate. Um, so just the idea that they wanted to record it and it is now just out here for any, anyone and everyone to see um, makes me feel good, makes me feel really, really good. Yeah. So what was some of the poetry that you ultimately ended up choosing from those early? Um, one of the, the ones that I did that I love, it's a, it was a short poem. Um, it was, uh, I've been scarred and battered, my hopes the wind unscattered, snow has frizzed me, sun has baked me, looked like they done tried to make me stop laughing, stop loving, stop living, but I don't care, I'm still here. So, and that was a Langston Hughes poem that was specifically for me. Bennett gave that to me specifically. So I always remember that. Um, and then the one that, um, oh, that, that Cleo Clinton Derrick's Carol did uh, was about a, 
a, a dancer and it was me dancing around, but he was, I can't remember the name of the poem, but it was specifically about this girl who was a dancer. And that was good. But I also liked the show because it had orig original music in it too. Clevant Derricks did um, some amazing songs in it. One song in particular was I, uh, I Survived. And it was almost like a catalog of what all African-Americans have survived. And then there was another one that I also do in my cabaret, Not in the Mood for Blues Tonight, which was a great song. So that, being able to be there for all of the original stuff of that show was phenomenal. And so were you ever considering sort of writing as a thing that you would also want to do like Cleveland Derricks was doing? Uh, yes, actually, um, I've written a version of Pygmalion where I've um, switched genders. And uh, so it's kind of like a My Fair Lady, it's a, a contemporary My Fair Lady, but I've switched genders. <laughs> so I'm hoping to, um, to, to get that done at some point. I know, you know, Seth Rudetsky. So he and I have been talking about trying to get the, uh, the script to Lin-Manuel because it's, it has rap in it. It's, it's really, really cleverly written, if I must say so myself. <laughs> So yeah, I, I like writing. I do like writing. Yeah. So mm -hmm. after this point of the show, did you then leave the Urban Arts Corps or did you remain there for? Yes, uh, the Urban Arts Corps actually had to shut down uh, funding. They lost funding, um, but I did move on. And again, I did the, the, uh, the um, we were able to do but never jam today. And I think the Urban Arts Corps was still open then, but it was starting to, to close. Mm -hmm. um, even think Vanette continued redirecting. I think her health started getting to her, you know, um, which was sad because she was so, so talented. Mm -hmm. um, but then I, yeah, then I moved on and did, um, what was the next one out of it? Oh, I, speaking of going back to learning different things and, and, you know, in theater, I was production assistant, production assistant, <laughs> a gopher on <laughs> Lena Hahn, Lady and Her Music. And I got to um, work closely with Ms. Horn because I was the one who had to type out back then, we didn't have computers. I had to literally type out all her lyrics for her in a size that she could read and uh, with a typewriter, oh my God. And so I did that. I helped with um, opening night seating, things like that. But to be behind the scenes and to see how everything was put together and to work watching her rehearse and watching the music be put together was amazing. And if you, if you get a chance or if anyone gets a chance to just be a production assistant or assistant um, a, a stage manager, it's something that I, I would suggest for everyone because that's a whole different aspect of theater that I think every actor should experience. You know, everyone wants to be on stage. Oh, I want to be on stage. I want a Tony Award. I want this, but <laughs> to learn the nuts and bolts can also be rewarding. Yeah. So what was sort of the um, magic of watching Lena Horne perform? And do you have any memories of her and working. Oh, she was just an icon. I would just sit there with my mouth open, just saying to myself, oh my God, I am watching Lena Horn put her show together. 
<laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's, you know, you just watch in wonder. And it's, it's interesting because sometimes you have these experiences and you don't realize how amazing they were until you get older and, and look back and go, oh, I was sitting right next to Lena Horn, or I went and got Miss Horn tea, or she asked me to do so-and-so-and-so-and-so. You know, you don't realize it until you look back and go, oh my. God. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> and I do want to ask you how you actually got the opportunity to be a production assistant on. Again, you just hear someone say, oh, we need a production assistant for someone. You go, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Cause I didn't know what it was at that time either. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And uh, it just literally turned out to be a glorified gopher, which is fine because I was what, 20 years old, 22 years old, you know, and um, it ended up really being just a great experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you about reggae, which is another show. Oh God, you really went digging, didn't you? <laughs> Oh, geez. Um, again, it was a group of us who were in a dance company. And we I think we heard about the show or uh, I, I can't even remember. But that's where I met Shirley Ralph and then ended up doing Dreamgirls with Shirley Ralph because she was the original Dina Jones. Um, and at the time, I believe uh, we actually was part, were part of a, a strike, too. And they closed down the show for a minute and we were out there chanting reggae on Broadway or something like that. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of it. It was one of those shows you go, ooh, yeah, I'm gonna save my, my paycheck because <laughs> I don't know which way this is going. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was an interesting show. I don't even remember what it was about. It was about. Oh. <laughs> so, the next thing I want to move on to is the movie of Pearly, which you were featured in. In Showtime, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. That was fun because uh, once again, I had already worked with uh, Robert Guillaume. And so watching him uh, perform and being able to be one of the dancers was, was great. Oh, I made friends with um, Pauletta Washington, who is Denzel's wife. And she was one of the singers in the production. And uh, so the singer, singers and dancers would always be together, you know, talking or whatever. And this was way before she and Denzel got married or anything like that. And she is such a sweet woman. And, and it's interesting because you do make forever friends sometimes when you do these shows or these productions or, or TV shows or whatever. You do make forever friends. To this day, I think I saw her at um, the opening of American Sun. And it was like, oh my God, how are you? You know, so you you remember all of those those people that you meet. Yeah. So um, you've done a few sort of filmed shows like Pearly and When Hell Freezes Over, I'll Skate. Mm -hmm. So do you think there's sort of an art to that or? Um, back then it was a phenomenon, you know, to be able to, to do a, a Broadway type show, to film a Broadway type show. I think nowadays, uh, it's not so much a phenomenon. You just, nowadays, you, you worry more about the talent or the, the casting of the show than any of the technical stuff or what it's going to look like or anything like that because there's so much now, <coughs> excuse me, that they can do, 
you know, they can enhance and all of that. Like I look back on when hell freezes over, I'll skate and I'm like, oh my God, that is so basic. <laughs> but at the time it was, woo, we're getting ready to film a show, you know? And I think um, when we filmed Smokey Joe's Cafe, which was like at the very, very beginning, I think of them filming, starting to film Broadway shows other than for the Lincoln Center archives where they had uh, multi-cameras and we had a rehearsal specifically for filming the show um, and to see how that show came out as opposed to uh, when Hell Freezes Over Our Skate, I was like, wow, okay, that was cool. That's real cool. And now to see, Broadway shows like they did The Wiz and they did all of those shows uh, for television and to see just technically what they can do with it is is really amazing. Yeah. So at this point when you auditioned, were you mostly auditioning as a dancer or also a singer? Yes. Yes, as a dancer. I never considered myself a singer. I still don't consider myself a singer. I can sing, but I have met singers who are just gifted singers you know what I mean so I, I try not to insult them and call myself a singer <laughs> but I do sing and uh I'm I'm not a trained really a trained singer I have a good ear I don't read music uh, but I really really go go by my my ear um which has hindered me sometimes um not so much when i first started out because as a dancer it was basically okay this is the, this is the dancer's part this is the singer's part and so i would just go back home and really really run my part run my my um you know just just what my part was um but now i when i do some of these workshops and everybody reads music and they look at the music the first time and they go oh this is someone 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 da, 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 da. and i'm like can i record this and then go home and then come back <laughs> you know but i did i started out as as pretty much a dancer and then mm -hmm. i developed because i had to i developed my other skills so your next show on Broadway was the original Dreamgirls, which we were talking about. Yeah. So I want to ask you how it was that you became dance captain on this show? Was that- Oh boy. Well, first of all, I auditioned for Dreamgirls about four or five times. Okay. And it was for the swing part. Um, and I think because uh, a lot of the times a swing does become the dance captain just because they get to sit out and watch the show so much and, and will be able to see everything and all the, the numbers. It um, was a natural progression of those parts, so so-and-so, so, or me saying, oh, I know where, where they went for that. I know, where, let's write that down. I know where they did that. I know how they did it, you know, and it was a natural pro progression of learning. So can you remember a moment during Dreamgirls when you knew that it was going to be Dreamgirls and be the huge hit that it was? Oh, absolutely. We knew it when we were in Boston. Oh. We knew we had something. And the buzz, we knew the buzz in New York, they were waiting for us to come. So we knew that we had a hit show. And just watching the talent every, every night, I knew, oh, this is going to be something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as the um, dance captain, I want to ask about your working with Michael Bennett. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun working with Michael Bennett, Michael Peters, Bob Avion. 
<laughs> excuse me, I got to sit in on a lot of the rehearsals and to really get to know the backstory of the dreams and, and their journey and all of that, which I think uh, a lot of times is lost when they redo Dream Girls the backstory of dream girls i have yet to see the dream girls movie because they took specific license that just was not part of the original dream girls show and i i i i did not like what i heard the changes were and i was like yeah no mm -mm, I, I can't i can't be i can't be a part of of going to see that and that's a whole nother political thing as well, but I try not to get into the politics. Um, but it was amazing watching Michael Bennett work yeah. and, and learning the, the, the true backstory of the dreams and dream girls. And do you remember any sort of specific thing about something that Michael Bennett would do or like? Um, it just amazed me how Michael Bennett and Michael Peters and, and Bobby could go in and out of the male and female characters, you know? Um, it, that always amazed me. And we always talk about the one time that Michael Bennett, Michael Peters and Bob Avion did the stairs, you know, the dreams on the stairs to trying to show the choreography and trying to show the sensibility of what the dreams should do. It was funny, but it was also brilliant watching them do that. You know, and just watching how the show had to change um, at certain times, the, the decision to change the top of the second act and what we had to do and the mechanics. It was the first time that uh, these gigantic towers that were, um, were, were programmed into a computer. So it was also like choreography to, to, to listen to Michael say no. And then these two, these two towers have to move in sync with those. No, that's not how it goes. And to watch these gigantic towers um, just be choreographed as well as the show. It, it was fascinating. So um, having the role that you did, were you, did you have a big role with the other cast and um working with them as the dance captains. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It was it was fun. It, it was a family. It truly truly was a family when we were in Boston. You know, it got a little crazy once we got into New York because then you add the press and you add the this and the that and all the opening night and but um when we were in Boston, it was truly truly a family. Um and everyone was on the same level. Uh there were no stars just yet. We knew there were gonna be stars, but everyone was on the same level. And that is a, a wonderful kind of feeling when everyone is just striving for the same thing to have an amazing show. And um, what I appreciated also was that they respected me as dance captain. So if I had to give a note, it was never a thing of, it was always, oh, okay, all right, you know, so that was that was refreshing as well and did you get to go on a lot as a performer and if so what was that like um, not so much in the beginning but at the the more we uh the more we ended up staying in boston because we had to extend our stay in boston everyone then started getting tired and getting sick so i was on a little more and i was the only um, um, swing at the time, the only female swing. Once we got to Broadway, we added another another swing because it was just a lot. Um, I did get to go on more when we extended 
Boston because people were just exhausted, you know, which was amazing because the female swing and male swings were able to uh, interact and, and go on for the other gender because of some of the, the dance, uh, like um, step into the bad side, you couldn't tell if it were male or female. So either swing could go in for male or female. So that made it even more challenging as a swing. So you mentioned um, opening night briefly, and I want to ask you what it was like to have the opening night of this huge hit. Um, oh, amazing to, to, to hear the audience opening night, first of all. And then we had our opening night party at uh, Tavern on the Green, which was just amazing. Um, and we knew we had a hit. We just knew we had a hit show. So it was, and it just felt like we could exhale a bit because we were home now. We were, we were where we were gonna be. And it just got better and better and better and better. So I want to ask you a question that actually applies to your whole career, which is, do you remember any specific celebrity visits backstage that have made a big impression? Or well, when, we, when I was doing Chicago on Broadway, oh. uh, we were playing opposite Usher. So everyone came to see Usher and everyone came to see um, Rita Wilson, who is Tom Hanks' wife, everyone. So I got to meet um, Beyonce and Jay-Z and all of those folks. And most of it was just like, oh, oh my God, that's Beyonce, <laughs> you know? But everyone came through to see Chicago and to see those people in Chicago. And, but, but when we did Smokey Joe's Cafe, we had a lot of, of celebrities come through as well. And I think we were one of the first Broadway shows that started doing um, uh, star casting or stunt casting as they would call it, because we had, uh, I think it was Rick Springsteen. We had, um, was it Rick Springsteen? No, it was, I forget. But we also had Gladys Knight come in and we had, um, you know, folks like that came in and were plugged into the show. So we got to meet and become really close with, with those people because our show was so small that, you know, couldn't help but meet them. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to ask you going back to Dreamgirls, if mm -hmm. you were responsible for putting any replacements into the show and? Uh, oh yeah, constantly, constantly. Um, we had David Allen Greer came in. We had uh, a, a Hit and Battle came in. Um, we didn't have a lot of star names come into Dreamgirls because as I said, it was more close, close to two, no, uh, 1995 that they started putting stars into shows. Um, David was one of the up and coming stars, David Allen. So you have also um, directed and choreographed a lot of productions of Dreamgirls since that mm -hmm. original. So, yeah. Um, when you do that, do you try to do the original exactly or with a few changes or with a lot of changes? Or? I try to do the original, especially the original choreography. And um, I try to impart some of the backstory that I learned while I was watching Michael and Michael and Bobby put the show together. Uh, unfortunately, I have not had a chance to really, really do um, a big production 
other than the one that Seth and I did, the, the concert that we did for the Actors Fund, which was still, it still is one of the highest grossing um, concerts that has been done for the Actors Fund, where I had a little more say in how to put the show together, but because it was a concert, we didn't have sets and things like that but we still had the sensibility of what Dream Girls was about. And that was with Audra McDonald and Lilius White and Billy Porter. So that was an amazing experience to, to have been on the production end of it, you know? And when you are um, recreating the choreography, do you have it written anywhere or is it just muscle memory that you? It's muscle memory now. I, I do have it written down and in storage someplace, but it's mainly muscle memory because just, I just did it so long and had to teach it so much. Uh, I still, I, I think I still remember probably 80% of the show of the original choreography. And what has it been like to recreate it in some smaller theaters, like regional theaters? What have you done with it? Um, it's still pretty good. Uh, I haven't done it in a long, long time. Uh, we did it in Connecticut at the uh, downtown, I think it was called the downtown, downtown Cabaret. Um, and we again, we tried to stay as close to the original as possible. I also did it in uh, California with Frenchie Davis and uh, Ramona Keller and uh, those folks. And we truly, truly tried to stay uh, close to the original. And that was um, with Mark Hobie. Oh, good, okay. Mark Hobie, <laughs> he was the director, but we worked so closely together. He wanted me to, um, to assist because I knew so much of the original, you know, um, but yeah. That was a long, long time ago. And actually, Mark and I originally were supposed to do it in London. We had gone over and did the auditions and everything. And then we, I think the, the uh, main producer pulled out. And so they had to scrap the whole thing. But we were ready to do it in London, do the original, original version in London. So how did the um, Broadway revival come about that you also were in of Dreamgirls? Well, that started out as the international tour. Um, and so we went out, we went to Japan, we went to Paris and we toured the US and then they decided to bring it back to Broadway. So yeah, so it wasn't just a, a, a show that was plugged into to Broadway, we were already on the road yeah. with it. Mm -hmm. And what was the sort of difference in working with Lilius White rather than Jennifer Holliday and all those other changes? Um, well, they're just different, different um, performers in, and, and they're different in the way they approach how they perform. And of course their voices are totally different but equally powerful. Um, and I felt like I got to know Lilius a little more personally because the show was already up. It wasn't a thing of trying to learn the show and trying to to um, to uh, uh, like really make this character. And and it was already we already knew what the character was, but she just plugged her her sensibility and her talent to it. Um, so I felt like I got to know Lilius as Lilius more, and then also work with her in the show. So it gave me a, a little more sensibility to the show. Yeah. So are there ways in which you think it was an improvement or not an improvement on the original? 
I think we lost some of the magic because the towers couldn't be automated. So it was a whole different kind of choreography because you had to have performers actually moving the, the set, moving the towers and things like that. So it lost some of the magic that we originally had when we opened on Broadway. The talent was still amazing. Um, and the costumes were still amazing because they really tried to use some of the original costumes, but they also, at that time, we had enough money to uh, recreate original costumes. Oh. Um, so it, it still had that kind of flash and woo-ah to it. But I felt like we missed something with the sets, you know, the, the, just the magic of how those sets just moved around by themselves. So I believe that you um, understudied one of the lead roles in this revival. Oh yes, in I understudied Laurel, which was quite a challenge. First of all, because as I said, I did not consider myself a singer-singer, but I had to really, really work towards singing that part. Not to mention it was just so high. Loretta Devine just sang so high. <laughs> But um, it was, it was um, an amazing challenge. I, I was happy to have been able to rise to the occasion for it. And did you end up going on? Oh yeah, I went on a couple of times, yeah. So I want to ask you next about Legs Diamond, which I'm curious to talk about. So, uh, <laughs> um, I, I guess I want to ask you first about um, Peter Allen, who was both the, wrote it and starred in it. I loved Peter so much, God. Um, and he, he liked me as well. And God bless him. He, he's, he was so talented. He just was not right for that role. And I think that was one of the main uh, challenges that we had was that Peter just wasn't right for the role. But he and I became really, really good friends. And I ended up working with him at the, um, oh, uh, what was it called? He was doing one of his, con one of his concerts and um, the Lombada had just come out, the new dance called the Lombada. And he had a song that went with that. And he in invited me to join him on his uh, concert. And we did the Lombada and danced and, you know, and that was fun. And he actually took me to, it was my first time going to like a, um, a, a, a designer warehouse where oh. they tried designer clothes on you. And he took me to do that so that I could look nice for his concert. And he was such a sweetie. And um, we celebrated his birthday. And I think this is what, what really endeared me to him. They were, they were crucifying him in, in the reviews. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had a birthday celebration for him. And there was this young guy, a pianist. Uh, nobody knew who he was. And it ended up being, I um, can't think of it, but he's now a big, a big like jazz pianist and he's done a couple of Broadway shows and all that. But also I sang for him um, from Sweeney Todd, nothing's gonna harm you, not while I'm around. And he cried so much because I just felt like they were giving him just the, the messy end of the stick. And when I sang that song for him, he, I think that endeared me to him. You know, he was great. So you did mention that you sort of knew that it was not going to be a success. Mm -hmm. So what were some of the sort of signs of that early on or moments like that? <laughs> um, 
Well, when the set pieces started crashing into each other, we kind of knew there was a problem. And <laughs> we had this train scene where we were all piled on this train to, to go somewhere. And the train was supposed to just like travel a couple of feet off as we were in it, but it would not stay on the track. So we would pile on and the music would start and we'd start singing and the train would go eh, 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 boom. And then we'd have to pile off the train and put the train back on the track and then pile back on the train and start the music and it'd be like eh, boom. And so that happened quite a bit. Yeah. And then there were cast changes and they tried to, they tried to plug me in as one of his love interests. But by the time they tried to do that, it was just like, oh, come on, let's, let's let this go. <laughs> I do want to ask you about what it was like to have those big cast changes. I know um, Christine Andreas and Bob Stillman both had their parts cut. Yeah, it was, it was painful. Um, but you know, when you, when you see things like that happen and you know that it's, it, that it's trying to be for the best of the piece, uh, it's kind of like six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. You feel for these people who are losing their job, but you also want the show to be a success. Yeah. So it, it's, it's kind of hard, but um, Bob and I are still friends. We, we're still on Facebook and chatting and all that. And we saw Christine, we did a, a a, um, a reunion a couple of, maybe two years ago. And Christine came by and, and uh, we had a lot of the original people come back and sing and uh, Ruthie Gotchell. Um, yeah, so we're, we're still, it's still family. You yeah. know, when you go through something like that, it's still family. And were there a lot of changes in terms of like not cast, but other kinds of changes happening during the rehearsal? Uh, no, 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 not so much. Changing choreography, um, costume adjustments, but for the most part, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty, pretty much the way we rehearsed it when we opened. Um, the, the scene, the speakeasy scene, which was us all coming out of that white baby grand piano, that was a challenge trying to, um, get the choreography coming out of the piano to match with com coming out of the piano, trying to get out of a piano, like seven people, eight people trying to come out of a piano. Um, but it, we made it work and it was, again, a magical moment in theater. And mm -hmm. I was very happy to be a part of that. That was my number, so. And I do want to ask if, um stuff was changed during the, I think it was 72 previews that the show played? Remember, other than trying to make sure all the technical difficulties were addressed, and I, I don't know how they made that work. I remember <laughs> sitting in the lobby out front of the, the theater and talking and laughing with Harvey Firestein, just laughing so much. Um, you know, one of those moments where you're waiting for them to reset everything and it's just a, a, a fun kind of moment. And we every now and then chat on Facebook. Um, he's, he's amazing as well. And that voice, of course, <laughs> but yeah. And what was it like to be working with the director, Robert Allen Ackerman? Mm-hmm. 
Um, it was interesting working with him. It was it was difficult because we had so many difficulties, and um, just just watching him try to make it work, I felt for him. <laughs> Excuse me, I really really felt for him. I can't imagine being a director, and what you're trying really really is not working. Yeah. You know, um, but but he he did the best he could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next thing you did, I believe, was going into Cats on Broadway. So hated it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not have a good time at Cats. Oh. And we'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> Met a lot of good people, but yeah, it wasn't one of the 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 better experiences that I had. And mainly because it was a very physical show. And it was hard to get my body to just really stay in that kind of t uh, ten intense choreography, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people were just unhappy being there. So backstage was hard and it was, it was just hard. Yeah, but did the audience always seem to on being enjoyed? Oh, they, they enjoyed it, you know, because it was a kid's show. They loved seeing the, the the cats and seeing us come out into the audience. But I will say it was a wonderful experience having to do my research to be a cat and okay. having to stay in that character of being a cat, no matter what happened. Um, so that was, that was mesmerizing to me because I often did get stuck, not stuck, but, but really get grounded in being a cat. And I guess I can say it now, there were times where we would have a small object on stage. And during the show as cats, we would bat it around like a, like a little cat does. You know what I mean? So it helped you stay in your, your, your character as a cat and play with the other cats when you had a moment. And so. what kind of research were you doing too? As watching cats, <laughs> cats as in the animal cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just just watching how they, how sometimes they're just so still and, and then they'll hear something and it'll be like, oh, or just it, 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 watching them clean themselves. Uh, I often tell the story that I was at the grocery store once and, and my, um, my groceries were on the, the belt, you know, being, being scanned. And I found myself literally pushing it like a cat's paw down the, and I was like, oh my God, I'm a cat, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, and the next show that you did was Jelly's Last Jam. And I'd love to know about the experience of working with George C. Wolf, who of course is another of the great directors. Love him to death. Oh my God. And it's interesting. I really, really like, <clears throat> especially the time when we're um, teching, because I, I enjoy sitting out in the audience watching the director during tech. And watching George C. Wolf during a tech rehearsal is the most phenomenal thing. It's mesmerizing because of the way he explains things and the way he makes you see, really, really see what he wants you to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, there were times when uh, some of the technical stuff just was not working. Mm -hmm. And 
to see that he was getting a little flustered. I remember one time he was getting a little flustered and I was like, George, we can make this work. Don't worry about it. And I went on stage and just kind of, you know, maneuvered a couple of things because I could see choreographically what needed to be done in order to make his vision of what he was seeing work. And um, yeah, working with him was amazing. And with Gregory and Savion, I'll never forget again, watching them work together and choreograph together was magical. It really, really, it was old school, new school, but the talent that the two of them had was just mesmerizing. So you have worked with a lot of directors and a lot of great directors. So Mm -hmm. I want to ask you what you think makes a great director? Being able to relay what they want and have the actor really, really see and understand what they want. Um, Because a a lot of directors, they, they know what they want, but they can't articulate it. And that makes it hard for the actor to figure out what they want, what the director wants of them. Um, so I've been blessed to be able to have worked with those types of directors where they can say, this is what I want. This is what I'm seeing in my head. I need you to do so-and-so. And you go, oh, got it. Okay, I'll do that. You know, um, George was one, uh, Jerry Zachs was another. What I liked about Jerry Zachs, he listened to, but it was also because of the type of show we were doing, Smokey Joe's Cafe, um, he listened to the performers as well. If a performer just wasn't comfortable with something, he took that into consideration, which to me is a certain amount of respect that you have for your performers to know that, oh, okay, what I'm telling them to do is not really, really, really what needs to be done here. Okay, let me see what your idea of it is and then maybe we can get it together or, or, uh, you know. So having a director who would do that is also amazing because you're working together. It's not my way or the highway as a director, you know. To ask you about um, Jelly's Last Jam because it was such an interesting sort of concept. Mm-hmm. With sort of changing or continuing. Sorry to- for the sirens. Oh no, no, no. Um, so was that concept sort of continuing to be developed during rehearsals or? Yes, yes, constantly. And it was interesting because it was a kind of a dark kind of piece too. So. Um, you, you had a different feel when you went into rehearsal. It wasn't your type of musical per se. We had moments of that, but it was also very deep and very um, ominous at sometimes and um, pulling from places that you wouldn't necessarily pull from for a Broadway show, especially as an African-American. You know, you had the colorism, you had, um, uh, at one point we had to do this minstrel kind of thing that really hit a lot of us in, uh, in a strange kind of way, you know, it kind of a, the black face and all that kind of stuff. So we literally had to sit and talk about it, why it was hitting us that way and, and how we could relate, re- relay that energy to the stage without it affecting us personally, you know, yeah. um, so yeah, and there were cast changes in that show as well, yeah. but uh, it was it was a fun show to do. It was a fun show to do. So, do you prefer doing a show where there aren't a lot of cast changes, where it's sort of 
one group for a while or I do like doing one group because you get to uh you get to really gel you know, you get to, to know each person's move and, and to play off of them easier, better. Um, like when I was doing Chicago, I did Chicago with um, Charlotte for a long time. And he became like, <laughs> just, just so connected as Velma and Roxy. Just, we, we just knew how to play off of each other. We knew we could look at each other and go, oh my God, okay, she's getting ready to do that. I know she's getting ready to do, oh, she did that. Okay, and I got to come back with, <laughs> you know? I loved doing the show with Charlotte Denbois because for one thing, she's a fool. She's just crazy and uh, she's natural. And um, it, it, yeah, we just, we, just, we just really vibed. I, I will say when BB came in to play Roxy, I was so nervous because I was Velma and I knew that she originated the role of Velma in that show. And so it took me a minute to be like, okay, okay, I got to, I got to do my Velma. I have to stay in my Velma. Yes, B.B. Newworth is staring at me right now. <laughs> but we ended up getting our rhythm together as well, you yeah. know? So, yeah. <laughs> And I also want to ask you um, about what it has been like getting to work with some of the people who you were mentioning that you admired when you were what younger, Ben Vereen or? Oh, um, I hadn't worked with Ben before he got to Jellies. Um, I admired him, of course, because he was Pippin. He, yeah. you know, um, I knew of him and I had met him a couple of times, but when he came to do Jellies, I hadn't worked with him already. So. Uh, that was interesting to watch too. And it was also interesting uh, and heart-wrenching because he had just had his accident. He had oh. had a car accident. So when he came back to do Chimney Man, he, was, uh, he wasn't that Ben Vereen, but it was still a different kind of um, grounded Ben Vereen. Yeah. Ben Vereen, the actor, more so Ben Vereen, the dance man or you know jazz man so that was interesting to watch yeah. yeah so i do want to ask you next about smoky joe's cafe yes so, do you remember do you remember um how you auditioned for this or how you got oh my goodness um so i got smoky joe's because they were looking for a brenda braxton type oh <laughs> And I was doing a show called Hot Mikado. We were in rehearsals down at 890 Studios. And I was up, I think, on either seventh or eighth floor. And a friend of mine, we, would, we had our final run through before we were heading to uh, Washington. And a friend of mine came to see it. And he was like, do you know that they're looking for a Brenda Braxton type for this new show that they're getting ready to do? And at that time, it was called Baby That's Rock and Roll. And I was like, what do you mean they're looking for a Brenda Braxton type? I'm right here. And he was like, well, they're downstairs. So I ran downstairs and sure enough, there was Lieber and Stoller and um, uh, 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 Otis Salid and Ken Hansen, who was the stage manager. And I was like, I am Brenda Braxton. <laughs> and they were like, where have you been? Oh my God. And I was like, upstairs. Uh, and so then I came back and I auditioned for it. And sure enough, I got it. 
So <laughs> I got the role of Brenda Braxton. <laughs> so I so I do want to ask you about your experience being Tony nominated for this. As mm-hmm, you- mm-hmm. That it, that was awesome. That was quite an experience. Um, it was uh, it was bittersweet because at the Tonys we were supposed to perform uh, Woman. I'm a woman from the show and we ended up getting cut from the performance. And so it caused a big uproar with the producers and, and uh, everyone because literally three of the four women in the show were nominated for a Tony award and did not get to perform at the Tonys. So uh, it, it was a, a big, 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 big problem. But being nominated was um, I think it, it, it took me to that next level as a performer where people go, oh, she's Tom, Tony nominated. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, were, we were talking about Jerry Zachs earlier. So I do want to ask you about the cast, which you were mentioning that you like to work with a small ensemble. And this mm-hmm. was that. So. Yes, this was that. All, all of us who started out, uh, except for the we call him the white guy because he was the only white guy in the show. Um, he switched out a couple of times because it was Robert Torty and it was uh, Michael Park and uh, a couple of other people. But the the uh, main cast, myself and BJ and Delee and Fred and Adrian Bailey and Ken, Ken Ard, we st- and, and Victor, we all pretty much stayed there till the end. And Patty, Patty Darcy. Yeah. What so that you- made it even better because we all got to go on the road together, come back together and, and you know. And what do you think was the sort of longevity of that show and the staying power? The music. The music was the star of the show, really, really the star of the show. And then the fact that all of us were so different, but the roles were, um, were, were literally our roles. It literally was us. Yeah. Each character was the person, you know, it was us. And, um, but the music really, really was the star of the show. And it was just performed so well, very upscale, very, you know, we were proud of what we were doing on Broadway. Yeah. And what was it like to be able to work with Lieber and Stoller themselves on this? Oh, it was, it was great. Once we got the show up and going and once we decided what songs we were gonna do, we didn't see them as much. But the, the process of figuring out, okay, this song is going to go here, this song is going to go there, um, we, we, we were able to see them a, a bit. But then they went back to whatever they were doing. Yeah. And do you have any specific memories from that process? Of- um, it was just a long process. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of crazy in the beginning. The focus was a little off. Um, we had a couple of directors, uh, we had a couple of choreographers. Um, and it wasn't until I think we, we decided to, we were in Chicago first and then we regrouped and took it to California, to LA. And it wasn't until we got to LA that it kind of solidified what the, the nucleus of, of performance it was gonna be, what, who the director and choreographer were gonna be, what the costumes were gonna look like. Um, so it was crazy in the beginning. But then once we got to California, it kind of solidified and then we came back to Broadway. 
so to ask you, um, when you're doing a show in all those places and for a long time, how were you able to avoid sort of getting stale in it, in the pardon? Oh, because we just enjoyed it so much. And we were just crazy. The show allowed us to just be crazy. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and to be ourselves, you know. And when you're playing yourself, it's just fun. Because you're just you're just who you are, and the music was so much fun, and and um, uh, the musicians were fun because they were on stage with us, and and it, it was just a lot of fun. And and Jerry gave us a lot of freedom. Jerry Zachs gave us a lot of freedom to be who we needed to be uh, as ourselves on stage. And I also want to ask you about, I know something with that show is that there were a few guest stars that would come. Mm -hmm. And what was that experience like of having them? Um, that was fun. It was, it was fun. Uh, what would happen is because the show was so small, uh, like Gladys came in to do my part at one point. And so she, uh, but she only did certain songs. Like she didn't do uh, 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 Don Juan or... Um, what was the other one? Some Cats Know, but she did You're the Boss with Fred and she did, it was kind of a split show because she also did I Who Have Nothing, which was one of Victor Trent Cook's songs. So it was nice to see the different spin that these people uh, who came in put on the so songs that we were doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that was fun. And what was it like to very recently you hosted that great reunion of it on Stars? And oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that was a lot of fun because I, I can honestly say those people are crazy. My friends who did Smokey Dose Cafe with me are just crazy. And we could be away from them months for years, but when we get back together, when I see Ken Ard, when I see Fred, Fred Owens and, and all of those folks, it's like we never left each other. When, when Dalia and I get back together, it's like we just sang um, Trouble the other day, you know? It's like we're still so close. It was a lot of fun. So I want to ask you about doing um, House of Flowers at Encores, which is something you oh, did. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> What was the experience like of working in that series at Encores? It was quick. That's what I remember. <laughs> it was so quick putting it together, but it was a fun show. Um, and I, and I, I, I had a lot of fun with um, the other, it was three flowers. So three of us were flowers and we had a lot of fun putting that together and being featured in that and working with Tanya Pinkins and, you know, those, those folks. And is there another sort of forgotten show that you would want to do at Encore someday? Um, I don't know. I would love to do Kiss of the Spider Woman. I have always wanted to do that, to do the cheetah part in that. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. So if they ever did, hello, if they ever did, uh, <laughs> I would like to be, yes. <laughs> yeah. So how did your um, long involvement with Chicago start, which I think it did after this? Um, I was doing a show called Little Ham at the Houseman Theater on 42nd Street. And I was working with 
Richard Vida and his husband was um, had had been one of the conductors on Chicago, and he had mentioned that they were looking for uh, another Velma Kelly. So I asked him if uh, he would get me the information. And sure enough, my agent looked into it and got me a call and uh, I auditioned. And, but the first time I had auditioned for Chicago, I was still doing Smokey Joe's Cafe way, way back. They had just opened and I think BB was getting ready to leave. And I, my audition was so horrible. I just remember, oh my God, I will never, never, ever get this show. But then down the line, um, when they had the special audition, where it wasn't a whole bunch of girls who had already done Fosse and then all that, um, I had a friend of mine, Robert Tatad, help me with choreography before I went to the audition. And sure enough, I was able to hang in there and, and at least look like I knew what Fosse was. <laughs> So yeah, and that was in two, I want to say 2003. And I did the show off and on till 2010. So the, of you doing it off and on, how did that sort of work? Like, would they call you or would you say to mm -hmm. them? Yeah, they would call me. Um, originally, I did it on Broadway, but then they were also taking it on the road. They were taking a company on the road because the movie had just come out. Chicago, the movie had just come out. So um, they were like, okay, well, you go, you're gonna go on the road with the, the company. And then when, you, when the road finishes, you'll come back in. So they just kept plugging me in and out. I would go on the road and then I would come back to Broadway or go back on the road or have a minute off. So yeah. And was it a different experience to do it on the road or pretty much the same? It's pretty much the same. It, it's a hard show for Velma. It really is a hard show for Velma. Um, but it was a wonderful challenge because I truly got to sing, dance and act and do a little comedy. So I was able to really, really keep my fingers and everything honed, you know. So did you get to work um, with M Ranking? I did. I did. Oh God, I did. She would come see the show and she would be like, Brenda, you are just bringing so much to the role of Velma. Um, and uh, yeah, and we did a, a reunion of that on Stars in the House as well. And which is amazing because we did it for my birthday and it was Anne Ranking, Donna Marie Asbury and Amra Fay, who was the last Velma before we, before they closed down for the, um, the pandemic, the pandemic, as I call it. So to, <laughs> to have that footage with Annie on there with us, I, I am, uh, uh, I can't even, I can't even, yeah, I can't even say, you know, she was so sweet. So I want to ask you um, how you sort of brought your own stamp to Velma Kelly, which is a role that so many great people have done, like Peter Rivera and Phoebe Newworth, but how you sort of- Yes, and that's interesting too, because when I first got the role, I was nervous because BB had done it. Uh, but Walter, um, Walter, director Walter, um, finally came to me and said, Brenda, we hired you to be you in this role, to bring what you bring to it. And after he said that to me, I, it clicked. Then I was able to bring my kind of shade of 
Velma Kelly to it and my sensibility and my sassiness and all of that to it. But it wasn't until he gave me permission, for some reason, it wasn't until he gave me permission as an actor to just do it the way I want to do it and not think about all the people who had done it before me, like BB, like Cheetah and all those iconic people, you know? So now I, I feel like I'm one of the iconic people as well. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, you are. And that's Walter Bobby? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to ask you also, because you were mentioning the stunt casting and star casting in Chicago, mm -hmm. who have been some of the sort of most exciting people who were in it for you to work with? Um, well, my first one was Gregory Harris. Um, I loved working with him. Uh, and then, of course, of course, I said Usher, because that was... That was a whole nother experience when he came out as Billy Flynn, just for, is everybody here? We would like hold backstage and go, okay, okay, that's two minutes because the audience would be just screaming for him. And we'd be like, okay, uh, let's bring it in now. Let's, okay, okay. <laughs> and then when we left the theater to see all of those folks like outside, just waiting for him. Um, and, and also I had fun with Rita because who gets to have Tom Hanks in their dressing room talking about, is this the equity cot? And, <laughs> and joking about, is, is this the equity cot? Not to mention, um, I was doing the show when I turned 50 and I had a party at my house and Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks and their two sons were sitting in my living room oh. drinking beer with me for my birthday. Who gets to do that? <laughs> Tom Hanks, okay. Oh my God. And so um, that was fun. And of course, Rita brought in a lot of people. I met Steven Spielberg and oh. folks like that when, when Rita was doing the show, because of course, <laughs> Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. Yeah. Brian oh. McKnight came in, oh, George Ham oh. Hamilton and his wife. Oh, wife. And they came in and she did Roxy and he did Billy Flynn. That was oh. fun, just watching husband and wife on stage. That was fun. Um, but it was, it was a wonderful experience. Could I do Velma again? I'm not sure. I would love to do her maybe one more time. Um, but it is, it's a challenging role. It physically it's challenging. So, but I would give it a shot. Yeah. And when, when you would go sort of in and out, was it easy for you to sort of remember it and stay in it as you would? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I didn't have a lot of downtime in between. Yeah. So maybe a couple of weeks, you know, but you, you, once that's in your mind, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So I want to ask about a play you did, which was Caesar and Cleopatra with the Gingold group just uh -huh. a year ago, I think, or two years ago. Mm -hmm. So what was it like to do a play, which I think you've mostly done musicals on Broadway? Musicals. It was the most terrifying thing I had ever done. <laughs> And to do the role of Fatata Tita, which was kind of a heavy role of um, narrator Fatata Tita, uh, and just it, it, it <laughs> I couldn't wrap my mind around the words sometimes. It just, it, it just, I don't know. David Staller is a saint because most of the time I'd be like, David, I can't do it. I can't remember the freaking lines. 
<laughs> but he was like, nope, you got this. You are patata tita. So uh, it was a wonderful experience. I enjoyed it immensely and have done, I think maybe two, uh, two more plays, not on, on stage, but for Zoom, which is still, you know, a play is different than doing a musical. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. And um, what has it been like to do acting online? What do you like about that and what don't you like? I don't like doing it online. I really don't because it's hard to, uh, it's hard to feel your other performers and feed off of your other actors. And knowing that you can have your script in front of you is like, that's so, so cheating. It's, <laughs> it's like, okay. Oh yeah, I got my pajama bottoms on, but I got a cute little top on and nobody knows. <laughs> it's just not the same. It's just not the same. So um, you've appeared a lot several times on TV and the mm -hmm. few things I want to ask you about, especially are two shows that I think some people who are listening probably watch, which are Smash and The Good Fight. So mm -hmm. what have those experiences been like for you? Well, Smash was interesting because um, the, the, the one episode that I did, I played Jennifer Hudson's mo dancing mom, as they called her. And... Uh, so I didn't have lines, but I was dancing to the song that she sang. And it was, that, that was a lot of fun. And it was fun to get to meet her as well. Um, but the good fight has been truly, truly an experience. Uh, I, I play Madeline, partner Madeline, and I did episode uh, three and four, and I'm getting ready to shoot, not episode, season three and four, and I'm getting ready to shoot uh, season five in the next couple of weeks. And it has been wonderful to develop the role of Madeline because Madeline does not play. Madeline does not play. She is like, yeah, no, no, we're not doing that. No. <laughs> and it has been, it's been a, 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 like a dream come true to literally have scenes with Christine Baranski <laughs> Delroy Lindo and Audra McDonald and, and the likes, you know, to have scenes with them, play opposite them. Uh, it has made me up my game as an actress, a hundred gazillion percent. And it has um, made me um, learn a, a different way of acting because of course TV is different than theater, which is diff and different than musical theater and even different than plays in theater. <clears throat> um, so I am still learning, but I am, I'm happy with the scenes that I've done so far and, and, and just the show in itself, the good fight is an amazing show. Not only are the actors amazing, the storylines are amazing and what's coming up is going to be even more amazing and poignant of what, for what's going on in our world today. <laughs> And uh, so I'm really, really looking forward to that. I have, so far, I think I'm booked for two episodes um, and my fingers are crossed to, you know, to have a couple more. I've done, I think maybe seven episodes. We're supposed to do one right before the pandemic, like a week before I was supposed to do it and then they closed everything down. So um, it's gonna be interesting to see how this is gonna work with this pandemic happening.
<laughs> so I want to ask you about, before I get to your organizations that you've started, I want to ask about your book, which we were mentioning earlier. So mm -hmm. how sort did of the idea for this happen? I think you were talking about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I was doing the whiz down in Florida and I was sharing the dressing room with the young girl who was playing um, uh, uh, Dorothy. <clears throat> and I don't even think she real realizes how, how much she played a part in me deciding to uh, do that book, to write that book. Thank you, uh, Destiny. Um, we were sharing the dressing room and you know, there's, there's the, the, the thing where you, you uh, the tradition where you, you give your dresser a, a tip, whether it's at the end of the week, end of the month or whatever. And so I had asked her, do you want to go into with the tip together or do you want to do a tip by yourself and I'll do mine? And I don't think she really knew what, what that was at the time. <clears throat> and it made me realize how much, uh, as I was saying earlier, how much people don't realize what goes on backstage matters. So that's what made me start thinking about writing the, the little black book of backstage etiquette, because there's so much that goes on back, backstage that, you know, you get out of college or you get out of high school or whatever, and you don't realize it. So it's a cute little book, the little black book of backstage etiquette, and it's $10 and you can get it on Amazon, but it has a lot of great stuff in it. I have quotes from BB, from Cheetah, from stage managers and uh, choreographers, directors. So it's, it's a good, good little book to have or to give to that up and coming performer, actor, singer, or dancer. But there's all, also some stuff in there that's just common sense stuff for, for working with people. You know, so it's a cute little book. Yeah, I've read it and I love it. Oh, good. <laughs> cool. So I actually want to ask you, um, in interviewing these people that you did for this book, what was sort of something interesting that you heard? Or? Um, what was interesting? I'll tell you one thing that was interesting that um, it wasn't for the book, but I also interviewed Cheetah Rivera for uh, this little... TV um, online kind of thing that I was doing. And one of the things she said to me that just struck me and it brought me to tears. Um, I asked her, I said, well, what's next? And, and um, you know, what, what do you, what's next for you? And she says, oh, I still have so much that I want to do. She says, because I don't want to die in plie, preparing to do something. And dancers know what that means. It means that you're preparing to jump or you're preparing to, to leap or whatever. And she says, I do not want to die in plie. Just, just having prepared to do something and not finished it. So um, that was one of the things. It wasn't necessarily for the book, but it was something that stuck with me from this iconic woman, you know, who's still with us, thank God. Um, so yeah, that was that was something. So I want to ask now about um, Act Two, Now What, which is your mm -hmm. organization. So for those who don't know, can you say a little bit about what it is and what it does? Absolutely. So uh, again, I, when I turned 50, it was pretty devastating. Not just because I was turning 50, 
<laughs> but because people start looking at you differently and treating you differently and acting different around you and not seeing you for certain things and, oh, you're 50, well, then you can't do that. No, that, 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 mm, no. So I figured there are a lot of women, not just performers out here, who, who once they turn 50, everything shifts for them. Your body changes, your, your looks change, everything. So I had done a couple of um, uh, uh, seminars just to get women together to, to reintroduce them to their lives and to make sure that they knew, oh, it's not downhill from here. It's still, you, you're still very vibrant and, and um, very much sexy and, 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 you know, and just all of that. So I did one here in New York and then I did, uh, I went to South Africa on what I call my, my own special eat, pray, live kind of thing. And I ended up doing one out there, which was amazing. Uh, and I haven't had a chance to really, really delve in after I did that one back in 2015, before I went to South Africa, then I started working on Norwegian Cruise Line. So I was gone and I couldn't do any of the, um, the seminars that I had wanted to do. But I do want to pick back up on that. And I have, uh, I'm going to relaunch my, my website. And I've got a couple other little things that's going to be coming that I can't talk about just yet. <laughs> but make sure you look for it. Act two, now what? Be waxing. Yes. <laughs> And um, how had your career as an actress sort of intersected with as an entrepreneur and as a? With well, it's interesting because back in 2006, uh, when I was married, my ex-husband and I also opened a upscale barbershop here in Harlem called B. Braxton Exceptional Grooming for Exceptional Men. And I thought that that was just going to, you know, you always want to have something else as a performer, something else you can maybe fall back on or a business or whatever. And we did do pretty well, but I think we were ahead of our time because back then it still wasn't cool for guys to get certain services done and you know a barbershop was just a barbershop and but our place was marble and wood and a receptionist that greeted you and you could have a drink and you could have coffee or whatever but I think we were too far too too far ahead you know of our time in 2006. Now it's getting to be a little you know a, a little more acceptable. And right before the pandemic started, I was going to relaunch B Braxton's at the Marriott that's getting ready to go up here on 125th Street. But then we got quarantined. So <laughs> I don't know, I still might do it at some point, but um, that was kind of like my foray out into the entrepreneurial kind of uh, thing, you know. Yeah. And I, I believe that that has sort of also intersected with your acting in terms of some theater people going there. Oh yes. Oh, we had, we were, we were, first of all, we started doing, uh, we also had, um, uh, suits. We would do, uh, um, suits for gentlemen, you know, and shirts and hand, hand done shirts and things. So I had, a uh, um, an agreement with Chicago that we were supplying, first of all, we were su supplying the tuxedo shirts for the Billy Flynn's. 
And then when um, Billy Porter started doing, you know, uh, his show, he would come and get his haircut there. The Motown guys would come and get their haircuts there. Um, it was just, it, it was really, really starting to catch on. And, and then I had to close because it, it didn't catch on as quickly as I thought it would. And rent was going up and I reopened, but it still, it still wasn't quite the same. Yeah. But who knows in the future? So the last sort of project I want to ask you about is your cabaret show, which you've developed. So what has that been like to do and to create? Oh, it, it's, it's wonderful because um, I always wanted to do a cabaret show. Uh, mainly, I, I love doing, doing comedy. A lot of people don't know that I would prefer to do comedy than anything. Lucille Ball was it for me. Um, so when I decided to do my cabaret, I did my first one at the uh, Metropolitan Room. It has since closed. Um, I was very happy about doing it, but doing your cabaret in New York is the hardest thing because whether you're ready or not, people come to see you and the critiques happen and, and the, the, this is my opinion da, 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 da. and you don't really get, especially if you're not used to doing cabaret, you don't get a chance to really work on it. It's almost like it's gotta be done, it's gotta be ready. And, and, and if you're gonna do it, you gotta show it, it's gotta be ready. So being able to do that the Metropolitan Room was, was great. But then when I got on Norwegian Cruise Lines and I had to do my cabaret there, I didn't have the New York eyes on me. So I was able to hone it better and to make my story better and to make the music better and to get the music into my body and into my system. So by the time uh, I, I did um, Norwegian for about three years, then by the time I left that, my cabaret was ready to go. And again, I was going to do it and the pandemic happened. So I was gonna do it in New York, <laughs> but then we, we went into quarantine. Um, but I'm looking forward to, to doing it again. Yeah. Hmm. So the very last question I want to ask you is, what advice would you give to a performer just starting out? Don't take it too serious. You know, yes, you are serious about your craft, but People say no, people say yes. A lot of times it's not even about your talent. It's about what they need at that time. So again, I go back to do not be seduced or reduced. And it's not just with the audience, it's, it's with the casting people, with the director, with the choreographer, just hone your talent, know what you bring to the table, be respectful to your, to your fellow actors, to your backstage cast and crew. Um, and keep a sense of humor because that's, the, you know, it, at, at the end of the day, if we can laugh and joke about whatever mistakes we made or whatever is happening, that's what's going to keep us, um, that's what's going to keep our humanity, you know, that's really what's going to keep us human, human and just respect each other. Yeah. Just don't compare yourself to anyone else. Your journey is your journey and do the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been so great to talk to you.
Listeners, thank you for tuning in, and remember to come back next time for the first episode in Backstage Babble's Pride Month series, which will last the duration of the month of June. The first guest is the incomparable Grover Dale, a Broadway dancer in the original cast of West Side Story, Lil Abner, Green Willow, and the movie of the unsinkable Molly Brown. He also played starring roles in Sail Away, Half a Sixpence, and The Young Girls of Rochefort. In his equally renowned career as a choreographer and co-choreographer, he took on such Broadway shows as Seesaw, Billy, Molly, The Magic Show, Rachel Lilly, Rosenblum, and Don't You Ever Forget It, Mail, Jerome Robbins Broadway, and King of Schnorrs. He also choreographed the movies of The Way We Were and Quicksilver, as well as the legendary I Love New York commercials. So make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening.